Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. My guest today is keynote speaker and author Brittany Hodak. Brittany is an entrepreneur and marketer who founded the Superfan Company in 2011, which crossed the multi-million dollar threshold in less than a year with a client list including Walmart, Amazon, Katy Perry, Disney, Luke Bryan, and the Boston Red Sox, and hundreds more household names and brands. Since 2015, she's been a keynote speaker on a range of topics, including entrepreneurship, marketing, creativity, and entertainment. She is also the author of newly released Creating Superfans, a book about turning your customers into lifelong advocates. Brittany, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Sarah. It's so great to see you. I'm happy to be here. Great to see you. You know, you. Um, the first time I heard you speak was when you headlined for our Engage Marketing Conference in Charlotte in 2019. Oh my gosh, how was it that long ago? It does not feel like that was 2019. Also, we had no idea what was coming. I'm like, oh, we were just babies in 2019. No one knew what we were about to, to face down. So things have changed a lot. The before times. <laughs> <laughs> the before times. But I will tell you that um, you had the audience eating out of your hand, your stories. I still remember some of those stories which is pretty amazing. And then, of course, you've, you've spoken at other events of ours since then and lots of other events um, since then. So I really want to talk today about your book and what you talked about in your book, Creating Superfans, and how that relates to the mortgage industry. Mortgage industry had a pretty rough 2022, the second half, as you know, and they still face headwinds in 2023. We're hoping it's going to get better with lower rates, but um, let's start with the definition of a superfan. Well, a super fan is a customer who has such a good experience with you that they come back and they tell your friends. So the power of a super fan is really to get someone to think not just about those rates, but about how having a trusted advisor is going to help them not just today with the loan they need right now, but alongside them so that they can refi in a few years when the rates go down and they can get a home equity line of credit when they want to add a swimming pool or do something else. And then throughout the rest of their financial journey. So that's really what creating a super fan is all about. I think the idea of a super fan, you know, when I was when I was reading your book, like we all think, oh, I, I think one of the genius things about that label is it's kind of you're like, oh, I know what a super fan is. But in some ways, you you define it really clearly. It's not just someone who likes what you do uh, of your brand or your product or your service. It's not someone who even would just sort of recommend it. It's someone who's invested in a different kind of way. Maybe walk us through that. Yes. So I have a, a four-part definition in the book. And, and the, the part of the definition that you're referring to is when I say they become an enthusiastic advocate. They want to tell people about you. And typically, the reason somebody wants to talk about their experience with you is because it is remarkable, right? It's worthy of being remarked upon. It's because you've done something to elevate what would otherwise just be a normal everyday, like nothing burger of an interaction into a memorable, meaningful experience. And as a service professional, you have opportunities to do that all around you. And so this book is really to sort of give you the framework, give you the ideas to open your eyes to these opportunities that you might otherwise miss if you're not looking for them and teach you how to really 
um, elevate every single one of those opportunities into a way to make somebody be like, oh my gosh, that was amazing. I can't believe they did that. Or I can't believe they said that. Or I can't believe they were paying attention enough to connect these dots. So that when you show up with those meaningful acts, with those things that make them say, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Their first instinct is I've got to tell someone about this. I've got to share this thing that happened because I can't believe how you made me feel. I can't believe how important and how seen and how validated you made me feel in this moment because you paid attention to a need and you over-delivered on my expectations. You know, one of the points you make that I thought was so interesting is you hardly ever see two or three star reviews. You know, if you go to look at reviews of something, there's one star reviews and there's five star reviews because who has time to be like, I'm just going to go and leave a review that's like, yeah, this was fine. I mean, yeah, who has time Yeah, when's the last time you were like, hey, I ate at this restaurant. It was okay. You should check it out. (laughs) Hey, have you been to this new store? It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Like even if you're talking to a friend and and they're like, what do you recommend? They'd be like, oh, it's okay. I mean, why would you do that? So I, I thought it was a really great point about just human nature is that we're trying to tap into the thing that's really going to push people over the edge to, to be that. And one of the things I wanted to ask you is like, we have all sorts of listeners, right? We have listeners who they might be a processor. They might be a, um, they might be in real estate. They might be a loan officer. They might be a title person. Like does this, you know, how does this come down to that level? Because you think, oh, brands are the ones who make super fans. How do I as an individual make a super fan? Well, I love this question, Sarah. And I would say, yes, brands are what make super fans if your logo can make someone emotional. If you are Apple, if you are Nike, if you are Disney, then yes, that brand can make somebody feel something. But otherwise, your brand is not your logo. Your brand is the collection of people representing that brand. And I don't care if you're a processor or a title person or a loan officer or you know whatever it is that you're doing, you are the brand. You are in the experience department and your interactions with customers or your interactions with colleagues who then pass that on to customers is what is going to shape what people think of when they see that logo, when they think about that brand. I know I am so guilty and I think human nature, I know human nature from the research that I did writing this book proves this to be the point that it's not just me, it's lots of people. We tend to think about a brand based on the experience we have with one or a handful of people. We call someplace on the phone and the person is rude and we're like, what a rude company. We don't often think, oh, that person was having a bad day. That person snapped at me. We think, oh, if they're going to hire somebody that rude, then I don't want to give my money to that company, right? Everyone is in the experience department. I love that point. And as you make uh, the point in the book is like, now when you're an unhappy customer, you have an audience of millions. You can put it on social. It can go viral. And everyone, even if they've had a good experience with that company, they might be like, oh, you know, it it, it dings it in some way. But it, especially if you have a lot of people in the replies going, same thing happened to me, same thing happened to me. And wow, before you know it, you can really have an identity problem on there, a real problem of how people perceive you, your brand, your company, your service. And I just think that the magnification is more than it's ever been. Oh, it's absolutely more than it's ever been. And part of that reason is because people remember stories. You said at the top of the show, Sarah, you still remember some of the stories that I told you years ago on stage. And I have people say to me all the time, I feel this way about this brand, or I have this perception about this brand based on something that you said. And one of the concepts that I talk about in the book is 
because of how connected we all are, because of how small the world we're living is now, everyone is an influencer. Every single one of us, every single person listening to this show, you have people who will choose to spend money with a brand or not spend money with a brand based solely on what you say, based on you saying they're amazing or they're terrible. And every person is that way because we are all so interconnected. And, you know, I love in the foreword of this book, uh, a guy named Shep Hyken, who has become a very dear friend of mine, who is one of the like OG customer service, customer experience authors and speakers. He shares the story of the oldest known customer complaint letter. And it's it's a really interesting story. It's from 4,000 years ago. It was literally carved in like a tablet in cuneiform, sent across the desert on a caravan of camels uh, through Mesopotamia. And it's now in the British Museum, but it's like such a funny story in the book. And all that has changed is how quickly word spreads. People are still complaining about the same things, feeling unappreciated, feeling like they were lied to, feeling like their expectations weren't met and the company didn't care enough to fix it. But now instead of carving it in a clay tablet and sending it across the desert on camels, we type it out on the internet and instantly thousands or millions of people can see it because of how connected we all are. So I have to say, I I love because I feel like the book practices what you preach. So it made a super fan out of me because of the experience of the book. So that stories, every single chapter has tons of really interesting stories, just like that one, which made me laugh. And it is just ridiculous that 4,000 years later, we can read a complaint letter. And the fact that it you had to go through so much you know, trouble to do that back then. And, and human nature has not changed at all. It's like, listen, you know, you didn't do me right. And this is it. But in the book, not only do you give us those really good stories, but the way the book is formatted, I really appreciate it. The way that the chapters are broken up, the colors in there, the experience of reading the book itself, I thought was uh, really pleasant. And I thought that's just so perfect for a, a book talking about creating super fans. You guys went the extra mile and made the experience of reading a book even better. Oh, well, thank you for saying that. I am so glad you enjoyed it. We worked so hard on it. Uh, there were things that I sort of pushed back on the publisher and I was like, nope, this is a non-negotiable. And I was so lucky to work with <laughs> an amazing team at page two. And they were like, no, you're right. We should do that. So the whole book is printed in color and every chapter title and every major heading is named after a song. So it's like a fun experience. I think I, for, I think it's like 104 or 105 songs that are mentioned in the book, which I know because we put them all on a Spotify playlist, which I'll send it to you. You can put it in the show notes if you want. Um, but I wanted to make it fun. I wanted people to laugh. I wanted them to enjoy it because I know sometimes it can feel like work to read a business book, especially if you're on a team and somebody, your boss like gives you a book and it's like, read this book. It feels like homework. I didn't want this to feel like homework. I wanted it to feel fun. I wanted to prove that you can make anything worth talking about and telling your friends, including reading a book. So thank you for saying that. I'm glad that came through. It really did. And I loved those song titles because it gets in your head and you're like, oh, that's what she's doing. Like it, it's like this little Easter egg thing between you and the reader. And then when they, you know, pretty obviously you're like, okay, wait, that's what she's doing. You know, it's so, <laughs> it was really fun. Thank you. So that brings me to one of the questions I had, which is, you know, tell us a little bit about your background in entertainment and how that influences what you do now, because that is a, a giant piece of who you are and what you bring to the table. 
It is a giant piece of who I am. And I was so fortunate that I got to have what I think is the coolest first job ever. I was a radio station mascot. (laughs) When I was 16 years old, I got hired to be a mascot at the local radio station, basically because I just begged them for a job. And I was like, I'll do anything at all. And they said, you look like you're about the right size for the mascot suit. And I said, yes, that sounds amazing. And I had the very good fortune that my maiden name was Jones. And when I was 17, I had been at the station for a few months. The station manager said, you know, I keep seeing ads on TV for this movie called Bridget Jones Diary. And we have a Brittany Jones. So it seems like we should do something and call it Brittany Jones Diary. And mind you, like no one on the planet knew they had a Brittany Jones other than my friends at high school (laughs) because I was the B. I wasn't like on air or anything. Um, But I said, okay, you know, you're always talking about trying to get more people to go to our website. What if I just kind of wrote about the bands that came to town? And that was my diary. Like what happened when Britney hung out with Blink-182? You know, what happened when Britney went to the Matchbox 20 concert? And the manager said, oh, like that other movie I keep seeing ads for, that almost famous movie. People are saying that's such a good movie. We should do that. Uh, just make a list of all the bands that you want to see. We'll call all the record labels and set everything up. Uh, don't forget to, you know, put in your timesheets because we want to pay you for this. And you're going to need to learn HTML if you don't know it already, because that's how our website works. And I was like, wait, did I just get a job? This is crazy. Hanging out with rock that's stars crazy. and like right. bragging about it on the internet. So as a 17 year old kid, that sort of spoiled any chances of me ever having, you know, a quote unquote real job, uh, because I was like, wow, I can't believe they're paying me to do this thing that I would not just do for free, but pay them to let me do. So that set me down a path of wanting to work in the entertainment industry. I interned for several record labels and music magazines during college. I graduated and moved to New York and and worked at a record label. But the thing that was always fascinating to me was, you know, I met all these artists some when they were already famous, some when they weren't. And I would watch the trajectory of their careers. And some of them would fade away. Some of them would like break up because of internal politics or strife or whatever. And some became huge stars. And I was like, what is that factor that makes some artists, you know, become one hit wonders and others become, you know, diamond selling artists. And for anybody who doesn't know, diamond is platinum 10 times. It's when you sell 10 million albums. Um, But like, what, what's the thing? What's that X factor? And what I started to see over and over and over again was that there was this correlation almost a hundred percent of the time between the bands and artists who cared the most about their fans becoming the most famous becoming the most well-known having the most success because they'd made their fans feel like they were part of the ride. They weren't just, you know, doing lip service and saying like, hey, thanks when they got a fan voted award. They were inviting them into the narrative, inviting them into the story. And because of that, those artists became central to the lives of those fans. And it was a two-way street. The artists would then, you know, do things based on what their fans were telling them based on that real-time feedback. And I started to see this correlation over and over again. And I started to see this being true over and over again. So as I was, you know, progressing in my career, I decided to go back to grad school. Um, I studied consumer behavior and marketing. And what I learned was that the exact same 
principles that were true in entertainment were true in nearly every single vertical. Like every single industry had this commonality that the ones who cared the most about their consumers and who spent the most time making sure their consumers knew that they cared, they knew that they cared that you were a customer, they did better. And, you know, it's so funny to even like, say that that was an aha moment because it seems so obvious, right? Like if you want people to like you, show that you like them. And yet I feel like so often that gets totally overlooked in the business world. We treat our customers like they're just a number PO, another PO, just another number, just another loan instead of acknowledging the human behind that transaction, the person behind that purchase order. And when we do that, we really start to connect with people in a real way. And not only do they become more of a person to us, we become more of a person to them. It's no longer just like, oh, the guy doing my loan or the guy helping me with my title. It's about Jennifer, it's about Austin. And we know that, you know, Austin has three kids or Jennifer loves the Titans. And that's when the magic really starts to happen when we connect our stories to our customer stories. Well, and I do think that people in real estate and mortgage have an amazing opportunity to do this. So often they are tied in locally to their communities. They're the ones who are sponsoring the T-ball team. They are meeting you while you're out doing something. You know, they're doing marketing. We featured a, a lady who goes around marketing. She gets dressed up. Her kids get dressed up around Halloween. I mean, there is a lot of room for personal connection, but you also do have people who are like maybe in call centers. And still, I think what you do with that person on the phone, I've had very interesting interactions with people on the phone in those kind of situations, not just for mortgage, but, you know, you think about sometime when you call the airline and someone actually cares and you're like, it makes a huge difference. So it doesn't seem to me that there, you know, it seems like there's still a lot of opportunity to do that. Oh, there's endless opportunity to do that. And, you know, the quote that comes to mind is from Teddy Roosevelt, one of my very favorite quotes. He said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And you can show someone you care really quickly and it doesn't cost much. You know, something as simple as, as you said, Sarah, when you're on the phone with people, I've got two little boys and, you know, if one of them is like screaming or crying or something in the background and somebody says, oh, do you have kids? Tell me about your kids. And then they tell me about their kids. All of a sudden now it's not just, this is the person trying to help me because the thing I ordered didn't arrive or it arrived broken or later, whatever. It's, oh, I'm talking to another mom. She asked where I am. I asked where she is. We talk about, you know, whatever. So connecting on a human level. And to your point, Sarah, about those people on the phone, I bet those interactions had an outsized impact in the way you thought about each of those companies. It absolutely did. And this brings me to my next question, which is, um, you talk about stories. You're a great storyteller. It's one of the reasons that you're a great speaker. Like I said, I still remember some of the stories from 2019, but also this book has some hilarious and amazing stories in it. And one of the things I liked is when you were like talking um, in the book about like, okay, well, who are you? How are you going to tell your story? Because like you said, it's not your brand. Your logo is not your brand. It's your story. And you give three different instances of your story. And, and what you do is you're really doing three different origin stories in your book and I thought it was so great. You were so transparent about how you can shape the narrative. All of those three stories are true. It's just what you've decided to focus on. And you lay that out in the book to show like you need to have an like a story arc about where you how you got to where you are. And I thought that was really interesting. So maybe tell me a little bit about how you developed that storytelling ability. 
Well, thank you for all the kind words. I talk about the need for an origin story in the book because I think it's absolutely critical. If you want to set yourself apart from all of your competitors, you've got to be able to explain how you got to where you're at and why that's relevant to your prospects and your customers. I am shocked when I talk to people who have been in sales for years and I say, tell me why you're the absolute best choice to help your customers. And they don't know. (laughs) <laughs> or they're like, I don't know, I've been doing it for 15 years. And I'm like, cool, well, Gary's been doing it for 18 years. So like, why are you better than Gary? Because if you can't articulate that, how in the world is a prospect or a customer ever going to be able to figure it out? That's a great point. They won't, right? And if they won't, what are they going to do? They're going to make a decision based on who's cheapest, who's fastest, who's closest to their house, who answers the phone first, whatever, right? It's a commodity market. So if you want to go beyond being a commodity and being a category of one, the way you do it is with your story. The way you do it is by creating a narrative that helps somebody understand why you're the right person to help them with whatever it is that they're struggling with. You want people to feel like you were put in their path either, you know, by fate or by a friend or whatever it is, by a Google search to help them with Whatever journey they're on, whether that's homeownership journey, selling their home, whatever, you're the right person to help them at the right time. And the way you do that is by articulating your story. So I have a whole section in the book on creating origin stories, how you can look back at the moments of your life that have led you to where you're at. Because the reality is nobody wants to work with somebody who's just doing it for a paycheck. They want to work with somebody who feels that it is a purpose, that it is a calling, that they are there to help. And so when you can articulate how it's more than a paycheck to you, more than even a passion, but really a purpose, you're going to get people who say, yeah, I want to work with that person. Well, and that sort of interaction is what leads people to go when someone's talking about buying a house. Oh my gosh, you have to use my person. I had the best person. She or he, they did this. This is the realtor I use. This is the agent I use. This is the whatever it is. This is the title company I use that, you know, I know title companies that they do like at closing, they have this whole celebration thing. You know, I mean, those are the kind of things that if you make that sort of impression, it's going to do so much. And here we are in a business where people are making the single biggest investment of their life. So, you know, you're not buying, you know, groceries. It's like a huge deal. Like this is the perfect time to make that kind of impression. Yeah. Not only is it the biggest purchase of their life, it's probably the most stressful purchase of their life. And they don't know what they don't know. So they're counting on you to help them to be their trusted advisor, to make sure that this investment isn't going to you know, go sideways. So it is a hugely critical time. And the other really great thing about real estate and mortgage and title is that it follows a formula, right? There are going to be variables, but for the most part, you know what your customer journey is going to look like. There are repeatable instances that are going to happen again and again and again. You know, you're going to talk to somebody for the first time. You know, if you're in real estate, you're going to go show them uh, houses. You know, there's going to be a closing date. You know, there's going to be a month after closing date. You know, all of these things that are happening. So you can design an intentional experience, a path that you want to take all of your customers on to say, how do I want to make them feel at each one of these milestones? What am I doing to elevate an interaction into a memorable, meaningful experience? And when you can do that, when you intentionally architect how you want that to pan out, it's, it becomes, you know, almost like a formula that you can follow with your team, that you can teach others on your team. And even though you're following the formula, nobody would ever know that, 
right? It's like when you go to a dinner theater show and everybody's like, oh my gosh, I didn't see that coming. I didn't see that coming because they haven't been there before. But it was just as memorable and magical to the people who were there last night and a week ago and a month ago because you've been intentional in the way that you designed it and you're being um, consistent in the way that you deploy it. You're making sure that you're repeating those things that work again and again and again. And it's been orchestrated to your point. It requires orchestration. This leads me to the next thing I wanted to talk about, which is we have so many mortgage and real estate leaders who are in our audience and in this podcast audience. So one of the keys to, you know, if you're a leader of a company, your employees need to be super fans if they're going to create super fans. So I think that's uh, a really interesting part of this book. Tell me, what are some of the ways that you do that? So I have a whole section in the book that's all about creating super fan employees because Sarah, you are so right. You are never going to have a better customer experience than your employee experience. Nobody ever was like, I don't care about this job and created a passionate customer. It does not happen. It is impossible. So all of the same principles that I talk about in the book, the entire framework that I share in the book is true internally as well. And like what I said before, with with getting a story that helps people understand why this is more than just a paycheck, why it's a purpose, that is critical. Because if you don't have employees who feel aligned, if you don't have employees who understand the mission, who who can draw a line from what you're asking them to do and how that matters to the results and the outcomes in the lives of the customers you're serving, they're never gonna, they're never gonna, you know, look at it as a calling. They're never gonna say, yeah, let me keep doing this if they get offered a few dollars an hour more to go do it somewhere else, because they're gonna be like, oh, it's the same thing. You've got to build a company where the culture and the DNA feels different so that people don't think it's the same thing somewhere else. They think, I am so fortunate to be a part of this movement at this moment doing this thing. I would never want to leave. You cannot fake that. I'm sorry. You can have an employee manual that says, you do this and you smile and these are the words you say, but it comes through because we're people. If you're really making a human connection then who you are as a human is going to come through. And if you hate your job or if you don't like where you're at, I mean, it's obvious, right? Oh, it's totally obvious. And in the book, I talk about some of the things that you can do to make sure you're recruiting the right type of people, um, that you're training them the right way, that you're enabling them the right way. Because, you know, an analogy that I like to use, I don't think I said this in the book, but I say it in real life a lot. You can say like, oh, I can teach anyone to play basketball. Maybe that's true if your goal is like a pickup game at the Y. But you cannot teach anyone to be LeBron James. You cannot teach anyone to be Steph Curry. There is a degree of God-given talent and ability that is honed over years and years and years. Can you coach anyone to be better? Yes. Can you help anyone improve? Probably. Can you give them a manual that says, here are the rules, here are the exercises that you're going to do, here are the warm-ups that you're going to do? Yeah, like maybe their layup will get a little bit better. But you've got to make sure you have the right people in the right positions. So part of that starts, I mean, it goes back to what I said before, intentional experience design. What do you want your company to feel like? What do you want it to be like? Why do you exist? Why? Who are the people that you need to come to your company? Um, but once you figure that out, you've got to be intentional in the way you write your job descriptions, in the way you interview people, in the way you find out whether or not they agree with this core principle, which I clearly believe in, which is customer centricity needs to be the paramount thing. Your, your business exists to serve a customer. And if your team doesn't agree with that, then there's never going to be an alignment. Or if you don't, if you don't agree with that, you probably start stop listening to this podcast already. But if you don't agree with it, I challenge you to think about it because 
really the core purpose of any business is to take care of its customers. A quote that I love that I share in this book by a guy named Shiv Singh is the purpose of any business is to create a customer who creates customers. And the way we create a customer who creates customers is by doing all of these things that we've been talking about, by exceeding their expectations, by creating these memorable moments, by having employees who are all in alignment around the idea of doing whatever they can to make their customer's life better. I love that. So we're getting close to the end here, but I still have a, a I have so many questions, but one of the questions <laughs> I wanted to ask is like, as a speaker, um, you're up there and you're seeing what lands with the audience when you're giving your presentation. And I know you've honed your presentations over time based on like what kind of feedback you get. And you can even see, you know, I've been a speaker, not nearly as much as you, but you can tell when something is connecting with the audience. So when you're talking about super fans, what do you think is one of the things that people really are impacted by where they're like, aha, I got it. Now I understand. Or, or what is really impactful there? I think one of the things is challenging people to think about the companies that they love and why. Or think about the service providers that like, think about the last recommendation that you made to someone. Why did you make that recommendation? There's a very good chance it's not just about the product or the service, but something wrapped into the experience. Like it wasn't just the ravioli that made you say, you've got to check out this restaurant. It was the experience. It was the ambiance. It was a combination of lots of different things. So I think when people start to look through the lens of, oh, yeah, I am a super fan of a bunch of these service providers. I am a super fan. And, you know, on the flip side of the coin, there are plenty of others that you don't care about at all. And I, I say that apathy is is the opposite of super fandom. It's not, I had a terrible experience. It's, I forgot about the experience I had. It was blah. It was not memorable in any way. Love that you brought up the apathy part, because I think that that is, if you think about your own experience, that's exactly right. It's not like, I mean, I don't have a bunch of companies I've had a bad experience with. I've had plenty that it's just like, I mean, it was fine. Like we said, I mean, it's not, I'm not going to advocate for it. And your key point is like advocacy. When you get to the point where your customers are advocating for you at that really deep level. Yeah. And then everything gets easier, right? All of a sudden your marketing costs go down, your customer acquisition costs go down, your customer retention rises. And when you're getting these leads, they aren't like random cold leads that you paid for that you're trying to like be the first person to get somebody on the phone. They are qualified leads who already know they want to work with you. They don't want to work with somebody like you. They want to work with you because they heard from Debbie or Frank or Josh that you're the best and they don't want to work with the second best. They want to work with the best. I love that. You know, the artist that comes to mind for me is Taylor Swift, right? Swifties. I mean, it is an army of people who advocate for Taylor Swift. In your experience, who's another entertainer or musician that kind of inspired that sort of loyalty? Maybe somebody we don't know as much about. That is a great question. I mean, there are so many people, so many superstars that you do know all about, uh, but there are a lot of developing acts too. And, you know, it's funny that I love that you bring up Taylor Swift. I share a story in the book about the first time I met Taylor Swift. She was like 16 or 17 and I was about 22 and she had just won her very first award. And we were at an after party for the award show. And she was there with an artist who I knew from interning at his label. And I was asking her about everything she was doing on MySpace because at the time she was really well known for like connecting into uh, connecting with her, with her fans. Uh, now we would say sliding into DMS, although there were not DMS back then. And I was really curious about that strategy. And she said something to me I'll never forget, which is I want to sell a million 
albums. And I know that if I'm going to get a million people to buy my record, I have to make a million people care about me. I have to make them care about me enough to care about my music. And so she was friending these people showing that she cared about their lives. And, you know, I remember thinking that night, this girl gets it. Like she is going to be a superstar and it's not even about her music. It's not about the fact that she's a brilliantly talented songwriter. It's about the fact that she knows that if she wants people to care about her, she's going to show that she cares about them first. So Taylor is a huge, you know, I mean, she's, she's a marketing genius. Like she's somebody you can follow for, for advice on pretty much anything you're doing if you're building your brand. But I remember thinking, this girl gets it. And there's, you know, so many other Sarah, uh, to, to answer your question. Like, I mean, you can look at somebody like Harry Styles, you can look at somebody like Lady Gaga, you can look at, um, a lot of artists who have, um, huge followings in their own sphere. Like they're bluegrass stars or they're R&B stars or they're, uh, acapella stars. And they have huge people that like, if you follow that, you know them. And that's another really interesting thing about super fandom is it doesn't matter how famous somebody is relative to the world's standards. It's It matters how famous they are to you. Like I know I personally have fangirled when I've met some of my favorite authors or some of my favorite astronauts. And like, I don't, you know, I don't care how famous they are to anybody else because they've had an impact on me. And that, like the, the psychology behind that is why realtors and loan originators and title agents are so well positioned to become those superstars in their hometowns. Because as you said before, they're at the baseball games, they're at the grocery stores, they're at the soccer practices, and nobody cares how famous you are to other people. They just care how good of a job you're doing for the people that they know in their neighborhood. But once again, it's like how you treat them. So they're not superstars, right? Like you're you're approaching them, whoever you are and, and whatever service you're providing. Again, it comes back to how are you treating the other person? I love that Taylor Swift had that outlook when she was 16 or 17. Crazy. I mean, yeah, it's crazy. Uh, and and we can see how it's how it's played out over the past 15 years or so, right? It's clearly worked for her. Pretty good strategy. Well, Brittany, thank you so much for being on. I know our listeners are going to be like, wait, I want more. Okay, so go buy your book. It's called Creating Superfans. It's out in all the bookstores. It's on Amazon. It's everywhere. And also they can, um, they can book you for a speaker, which you've done an amazing job uh, speaking. So I just want to say thank you. Thanks for being such a supporter of Housing Wire in the past, coming to our, uh, I think that was only our second event and you blew it out of the water for us. Oh, thank you. And I was still like a baby speaker back then. That was so, so long ago. So thank you guys for inviting me to the event and all of the events that I've been at since then. Thank you for having me on the show, Sarah. And for anybody who wants to uh, talk about creating super fans or have me come talk about creating super fans in an event, I would love to connect with you. You can find all of my information at BrittanyHodak.com. Ah, uh, thank you again. Loved getting to talk to you. How have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or how is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW+, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW+, membership, you get access to longer-form digital content, the Housing Wire magazine, 
member-exclusive rates to in-person events like Housing Wire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.